1: Hello and welcome to The North in Numbers, a podcast that gets the human stories behind the stats. I'll be your host, Annie Goke. As a data journalist, I write local news stories based on statistics for regional papers up and down the country. Each episode, I'll be looking at the figures that particularly affect the North, and speaking to experts and those most affected to get their take on the issues facing our communities.
2: It was just this one day I was just kneeling down next to him I was stroking him and I basically just went to stand up. And I just remember seeing his mouth was wide open and I was thinking, oh, he's going to bite me. Yeah, then, you know, there's nothing you can do. Um, but he must have knocked me out with the force because I don't remember. I just remember being on the floor. And, you know, when a dog plays with a toy and they shake their head a lot, he was sort of doing that. And I remember thinking to myself, like, if I pull back now, um you know, there's not going to be nothing there. So I just sort of went with him and he was pulling me along the floor and he just let go. Like luckily, he literally just let go. It was like, he just got fed up. I ended up obviously going to Alder Hay and I was I was supposed to be um, home for a certain time. And I was panicked mm-hmm. because I was thinking I'm going to have to ring my dad and tell him <laughs> I'm not going to be home. Um, so obviously I rang my dad, told him sort of what had happened and he'd come up the hospital but I didn't tell him that it was my face. I'd just told him I'd been bit. Um, so when he came to the hospital, he he didn't sort of recognise me at first. He was a bit in shock himself. And I just remember he, he come in and I hadn't cried or anything at this point. I was I was doing quite well. I was obviously in shock. And um, my dad had basically turned around and he said, it, it's bad, you know, love. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know, dad. And he was like, no, love, it's bad. Like we've we've got a long road ahead of us here. And I I remember that was the moment that I was like, yeah, this is bad. Kaylee Rooney was just 15 years old when she was set upon by a Japanese
1: Akita at a friend's home in Liverpool, leaving her hospitalised with severe injuries. Worryingly, incidents like this have been on the rise, with terrifying dog attack videos going viral on social media and a spate of high profile fatalities making headlines in recent months. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be taking a look at the data on dog attacks, speaking to experts to try and unpick what's behind the increase, as well as what needs to be done to tackle the problem. Official NHS figures show that in the year to March, there were 9,277 hospital admissions where the patient had been bitten or struck by a dog. That was a record high, with the number increasing steadily since at least 1998, when figures began. Behind those numbers are people like Hayley, often children, who've been left with
2: life-changing injuries the left side of my top lip was completely split open um that was ripped right through the right side of my nose was hanging off completely Um my right cheek had a huge puncture wound in that went down into sort of like where my gums and stuff are so all my nerve endings and stuff were exposed on my gums um so it was it was quite bad I had a lot of I, I remember my dad saying when i come out of surgery he said oh she's still got a lip like i did how did you make sure she still had a lip and i didn't realize how bad it was because being a kid you think you know everything and you you act tougher than what you are um so i remember just being like what do you mean i've still got a lip like was it was it that bad kind of thing but yeah he literally the how they saved my lip is beyond me but they did and i'm very grateful for it <laughs>
1: After reconstructive surgery, Kaylee was
2: covered in scars. They were purple, really bright purple um, to begin with, and I was really nervous. I had to stay off school for a little bit. Um, so I missed a few of my GCSEs as well, because that was the time that it was happening, was GCSE sort of time. um, So I missed a few of those, and when I did eventually go back to school, then obviously I had different hospital check-up appointments and stuff throughout the rest of school as well then, and into college. So it was it was a really lengthy process. Kelly also needed psychological help after the ordeal. Because I was having nightmares and I was replaying it over and over again in my brain that was my brain trying to process it and it just wasn't fitting anywhere so they'd done a lot of like therapy with me to try and make sure it fitted into my brain somewhere Um, and it was it was spot on it, it really did help. The
1: attack did nothing to diminish Kaylee's love of dogs, however, and she opened a pet grooming business in 2020. The fur dresses has grown over the past three years and was awarded best pet groomer in Liverpool this
2: year by the English Business Awards. When it happened, it happened in the November and I asked my dad for a dog for Christmas. And he was like, You're not getting a dog for Christmas. Um and my auntie at the time, she had a Tzu puppy, and we ended up taking him home. And um, he's 15 now, he still lives with my mum and my dad. And I used to take him to get groomed. And I remember watching one day through the window and I was like, I think that's what I want to do. Like, that looks like really good. Um, when I mentioned about wanting to be a dog groomer, everyone's first instinct straight away was, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I was like, well, I can. And you've told me that I can't, so I'm going to go and do it now. But yet I just didn't expect my little tiny salon to be able to one not only let my little dream come to like life i'm also i've got an employee who works for me who's living a little best life and now we're going on to win awards and stuff and i just it's just mad it doesn't feel real sometimes
1: while kaylee recovered and went on to follow her dream some victims aren't so lucky a small number of people tragically die from dog attacks every year and there has been a recent spike in fatalities In the last 20 years or so, the number of fatal dog bites has averaged at about 3 per year. However, in 2022, there were 10 fatalities, and there have been 8 so far this year. One in every three fatal dog attacks seen since 2020 has happened in the north of England. So what's been behind the long-term increase in hospitalisations and the more recent increase in fatalities? Unfortunately, there's no clear-cut answer, as George Blore, Head of Operations in the North for Dogs Trust, explains.
3: Because the data isn't great, and what I mean by that is, um, there is no requirement to put things like a breed onto um, a bite report or an incident report, even if there's a fatality, which when you think about it is is um, is is crazy, really. There's also not often a huge amount of detail about the incident on those reports. And then we have to think about the fact that these are only those that are either reported or those that are so serious that they become hospitalised. So the data itself doesn't give you a national picture, it often just gives you um, a snapshot. It's hard to pin down one particular reason, to be honest, but what I would say is, if you were to look at those individual cases, you would probably find a wide range of factors that have affected it.
1: Professor Carrie Westgarth is Chair in Human-Animal Interaction at the University of Liverpool and has been conducting research into the rising number of dog attacks and
4: fatalities. The fatalities do seem to have gone up in the last couple of years, but we're talking about really small numbers. So doing statistics on that is quite challenging. There's not outside the realms of statistical variation that that could be just normal. Until we see data from numerous years, the next few years, it's hard to know whether this has been an actual jump. What's been really interesting is that whilst the hostile admissions for dog bites were rising, the fatalities weren't. And then there's some sort of jump in fatalities potentially in the last couple of years. Is that to do with the pandemic? Um, certainly, the behaviour people that I have um, been speaking to, because I'm also trained in dog behaviour and I'm sort of around that community, have been reporting that they were seeing around a sort of six months to a year into the pandemic, uh, and and longer than that Oh, so over the last couple of years they have been seeing dogs that they feel are particularly nervous and fearful and potentially aggressive as well and they think that's probably due to um that the dogs weren't well socialized enough the other reason is we think a lot of puppy farming dogs were being pushed through the system because of the demand for dogs at, at the time um, and we know that due to their breeding and their poor early environments they are more a risk of behaviour problems. Well,
1: we don't have any definitive answers on why dog attacks are on the rise. What we do know is that there are lots of different factors that can lead to a dog biting or otherwise showing regression.
4: So there's a lot of things come together in order to reach this point. But that early life, the training, the genetics of that individual animal, because there's lots of variation in the, in within breeds as to the temperament of, of the animals and what's being passed on from the parents to that puppy that you get. That's all really important for their tendencies to react in that way much later in life. Another massive factor is pain. And we have finding this is more and more being an issue. Even dogs that have been referred to a behaviourist and they've been referred by a vet who has checked them and said they're healthy, it's very difficult to actually pinpoint pain and identify pain dogs are really good at at, you know just getting on with life really and not showing clear signs of pain but as you can imagine if you've got chronic pain or something sore you're going to be much more grumpy about it and veterinary behaviorists when they work very closely with vets and they try pain medications are often finding the behavior improves massively and it was pain related we're also not that great at recognising dog body language and there's lots of studies that confirm this. So when dogs are showing that they're a bit bit stressed, they're unhappy with the situation, they'll show lots more subtle signs. We're very good at noticing when they start to growl, snap and bite at us. But we often say that came out of the blue, it was unprotected, they would never done anything like this before. But as behaviourists, if you observe the dog and if you look back in the dog's history, you can see that actually the dog has shown a lot of signs that it wasn't that happy in this situation before it reaches that point where it says, look, nobody's listening to any of this anymore. But I know what probably will work if I actually snap at them or growl um, this. They're probably then going to listen. And then they think, oh, God, that worked. They stopped doing that. They stopped doing what I wanted them to stop doing. So I'll use that strategy in future. Carrie's research has also shown that the
1: majority of dog bites are from a dog known to the victim.
4: When it comes to the bites, it's the it's generally not a dog that you don't know that runs up to you in the street. That is very very rare. It's generally a dog that uh, you know well, It's either your dog or a, a fan, family member or a friend's dog that you know really well. So, and it generally happens in the home. So that's what's really important for us to consider in terms of assessing that risk and doing something about it we have to think uh, and challenge this common perception that my dog wouldn't bite anyone and you see all the time you know breeders of large powerful dogs saying I trust my dogs completely with my child they would never hurt her that is simply not true we all have to be aware of the potential risks And it generally happens by accident. You know, a child trips over, falls on a dog. Dog's got a bit of arthritis, turns around and snaps, never done anything like that before. That's the context. Or they're playing together with a ball. And, you know, the dog jumps up to get the ball and grabs the child's hand, for example. Sometimes it is things like child tried to kiss dog on face. You know, so make sure that you, you're not letting your child do that. It's very hard to teach them not to do that because they want to piss everything on the face. It's just what they do. So that's why things like baby gates can be really, really helpful. That was the
1: experience of Kaylee, who knew the dog that attacked her well.
2: Basically, I was in my best friend's house at the time um, and I'd seen this dog so many times. I'd stayed over, sleepovers, you know, as you do when you're 14. And... Um, it was just this one day I was just kneeling down next to him I was stroking him um and i basically just went to stand up and as i've stood up it, it weirdly just went in slow motion and he basically just sort of come from my right hand side and i just remember seeing his mouth was wide open and i was thinking oh, he's going to bite me, yeah, And then, you know, there's on you can do. Most of the dogs involved in recent attacks, which have been heavily reported in the media, have also been
1: known to the victim. Understandably, Kaylee has found these reports distressing.
2: It's one of them where I'm quite an open person, so I've spoke a lot about what happened to me, so it doesn't really affect me to talk about it anymore. But when I see it in the media and I see, you know, it happening to other people, I just know what they've got to go through, and I know the roads that they've got to go through, and it's it's not a nice it's not a nice road and obviously, especially the fatal ones. It's it's the families and things that I have to sit and I think about, and I, one, it makes me think like I I was really lucky, um, because the dog that attacked me was he, he was a big dog, so it makes me feel lucky to have what I've got, but at the same time, it makes me so sad for like what what is actually happening because I feel like it just shouldn't be happening. It's it's just not fair. And it's just not nice knowing that what these people have got to go through as well, like in the future.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Much
1: of the recent media attention has focused on American bully XL dogs in particular a variation of an American Pit Bull Terrier and American Staffordshire Terrier cross that is particularly large and powerful. While the American Bully is regarded as a specific breed in the US, it is not recognised as such by the main British dog associations, such as the Kennel Club. Dogs suspected to be American XL bullies have been involved in several high-profile attacks, including three of the eight deaths seen this year.
4: I asked Carrie if this is because American bullies are a particularly aggressive breed. So there's two parts to the are breeds more aggressive than others that we need to consider. One is, are certain breeds more likely to perform aggressive behaviour than others? And the other is, if a breed performs aggressive behaviour, what severity or intensity of damage occurs? And we have to think about both of these things. Uh, and this is lost in a lot of the discussion and debate about this. Large, powerful breeds of dogs, including quite a lot of the, the bull breeds, they are large, strong dogs. If they bite you or they try to bite you, they are going to perform more significant damage. We see that they um, are what we think to be overrepresentative in the fatalities lists in particular. The question as to whether they are more likely to be aggressive in the first place is very different. So the scientific con- consensus on this is that breed, uh, you risk of biting, of, of being aggressive, breed isn't a good predictor of that. There's a lot of crossover between the breeds in how they behave. Um, In particular, when it comes to aggression, that's not necessarily something that's been massively selected for in a lot of of breeds. But there's also a lot of variation within the breed. Like I referred to previously, where that variation really is coming from is that individual temperament that's coming genetically down breeding lines. So breeding lines are far more important than breeds when it comes to the risk of being aggressive. I think a really key message that gets missed out is that any dog can bite. And the media narrative around breeds at the moment is really detracting away from that any dog can bite if pushed into a situation. Perhaps, you know, it takes more pushing for some dogs than others to get them to, to do that. Um, but they're all um, they're all able to do it. So we need to remember that and not make that media narrative, but also the, the government narrative about there being dangerous breeds of dogs also detracts from the idea that there are, that all dogs are capable of, of, of biting.
1: In response to the recent high-profile attacks involving American XL bullies, the government has added them to the list of banned dogs in England and Wales under the Dangerous Dogs Act. From 1st of February next year, it will be illegal to own one, unless the owner has successfully applied for it to be exempt. The ban has seen much public support. A YouGov survey that ran in July, prior to the ban being announced and before the most recent attacks, found that 57% of respondents thought American bullies should be banned in the UK. Only 17% thought they should not be banned, while 26% said, don't know. Since then, another survey conducted in mid October found that 42% of respondents agreed that American XL bullies are inherently aggressive and remain a significant risk regardless of how responsible dog owners are. That compared to 38% who blamed irresponsible owners and 19% who said they didn't know. However, Kaylee doesn't personally agree with
2: the bank despite being a victim of a dog attack herself. It's a hard one because obviously every dog's different. And, you know, you can't blame the dog. Like, I don't blame the dog that bit me. You know, he, he wasn't in the right environment. He didn't get enough walks, et cetera. Um, and I feel like if you're owning a big dog, you need to have a lot of knowledge on them and you need to make sure they're getting the correct training and things like that. Because if you don't and you're just getting a big dog because everyone else has got one and you think it's cool, like, it's, it's going to end in disaster. And th- th- this is what's happening. But at the same time, it's you can't you can't just tarnish every dog with the same brush it's it's quite a difficult sort of subject to look at because on one hand it's well how do we stop it or we'll ban the breed but then on the other hand it's well what about the, the good ones out there what about the ones that have had the training and you know they're, they're not prone to regression and things like that and it's just it's a very very tough subject I think it's a lot more complex than people think Bully Watch, a group that campaigned for a complete ban of the XL
1: bully breed, were invited on the podcast to discuss their stance, but did not respond. However, George Blore from Dogs Trust believes that banning American XL bullies will do little to help the rise in dog attacks, as it doesn't take into account many of the other factors behind aggressive behaviour.
3: Dogs are often... um or research would show that dog bites, dog attacks, dog whatever, whatever you want to call them, generally come out of a relatively normal situation that escalates over time. So that dog may respond to fear, it may respond to pain, it could respond to a number of factors, but often that dog is responding to something. And that's why um, when we look at effectively managing this problem, looking at something like a breed and looking at the, saying, this this breed is the problem, or this this type of dog is a problem, often, and I think proven, is not the most effective way of reducing those incidents that you're seeing. The government's plan is very, very unlikely to reduce the number of bites. And Dogs Trust really does believe, and I think the broader sector believes when you look at the facts of the matter and you think about us dealing with this day to day, it's highly likely that 12 months from now we'll have another conversation about another breed that is potentially needing to be banned and will be continuing along this cycle of dog bites, dog attacks, the public not being protected because of these knee-jerk reactions when it comes to uh, legislation and legislation change.
1: Dogs Trust, alongside several other of the UK's biggest animal charities, have called for an end to the Dangerous Dogs Act altogether, branding it flawed, outdated and ineffective. The group of charities, which also includes the RSPCA, the Kennel Club, Battersea's Dogs and Cats Home and Blue Cross, among others, formed the Dog Control Coalition and launched an End BSL, or Breed Specific Legislation, campaign in a bid to get the law changed, calling on the government to take urgent action to help better protect the public. The coalition wants to see interventions that focus on safe behaviour around dogs, measures that allow early intervention and better education on dog bites to help prevent attacks. Despite the campaign, the government is going ahead with plans to ban American XL bullies under the Act by early next year.
3: What that will end up being is if a dog has certain physical characteristics, it looks a certain way, then if it meets enough of those characteristics, it will be typed, it's called, as an Excel Bully, it will then be subject to the ban. So we're not looking at behavior. We're not looking at the background of this dog. We're not looking at, at whether it was poorly bred, if it had a bad, uh, if it had a bad start to its life. If we, we're not looking at any of the factors around the environment of the dog now or the owners and whether they're responsible or not. And those things are absolutely, or should absolutely be part of an assessment to establish the risk of a dog because there is no real research to suggest or to that gives any sort of weight to the idea that a particular breed is more likely to be dangerous than another. Unfortunately, it's become very clear, certainly in recent weeks, that that, that is just not the approach that the current government at least wants to take. And I think the reality is we're now in a situation where we will have breed specific legislation for XL bully types. And the Um, The unintended consequences of that are are huge. The the reality is if we're looking at dogs on a confirmation basis, and by that I mean we're saying the dog has um, a head that looks like X and legs that look like Y, and we're not looking at behavioural characteristics, the environment that that dog lives in or the ownership um, of that dog, we're inevitably going to find dogs that have never shown aggression, who are not inherently aggressive, that are caught up in the ban. And the result of that is that those dogs may end up being killed you know, put
1: to sleep. Carrie agrees that the ban is not the best course of action if the goal is to tackle rising dog attacks and fatalities.
4: I can see an argument for breed specific legislation in the fact that certain breeds are, are more likely to cause damage if they do bite. It's not that they're more likely to be aggressive. It's in, in the rare instance, hopefully, that they um, there is an issue then they might be more likely to cause significant damage. However, we only seem to select in breed-specific legislation uh, certain breeds, whilst others that also feature highly in lists around fatalities or can cause significant damage when they bite because they're large and powerful, seem to be left off these lists. So... um, It's a bit illogical in that sense as to how effective that might be. Breed-specific legislation has also been quite difficult to actually do in practice. So in theory, you can see the argument as to why it might be useful. But in practice, it's very hard, especially when for things like the pit bull, which is the main breed that we have had banned for many years, and now the XL Bully, they are not clear defined breeds. So arguing that a dog is or isn't that type of dog becomes very complicated and can can become quite costly through the court system as people argue about it. The other thing is, um, does it work? Has banning pit bulls in the past stopped us from having pit bulls in the population? No. They're 30 years on from banning pit bulls. We still have pit bulls and they're still involved in serious uh, bites. Exemption schemes means that that dog needs to be on lead, muzzled, uh, when out in public, for example, it also needs to be neutered. But who is policing that and enforcing that that is happening and carrying on when that has been argued to, to be applied to that dog? Most bites happen in the home or they happen from escaped dogs. If you look at the contexts of a lot of the fatalities, it has not been when someone has been, uh, or the serious bites, it's not been when someone has been out walking their dog off the lead and it's gone over and done damage. Most bites occur in the home by a family dog that is known um or perhaps, you know, a dog escapes out the garden or escapes out the window and things become problematic. So banning them in some way uh, in in terms of putting restrictions on how they are um, walked in public isn't necessarily going to impact those bites. The majority of dog bites are also just by everyday pet dogs of all sorts of breeds. When you look at the hostel admissions data, you see all sorts of breeds in there. You generally see the most common breeds. So just by banning one breed of dog or adding another breed or banning a small number of breed, the potential to have an impact on dog bites and dog attacks in general is minor. Dogs Trust would like to see reform around dog control to better deal with the problem.
3: We at Dogs Trust believe that a breed neutral legislation that takes into account the actual behaviours of any dog and recognise that any dog can be dangerous, um, but rather than a particular breed, uh, but really focusing on the environment in which that dog is in to establish a risk assessed approach to, um, to what may then ultimately lead to a dog bite and then effectively kind of put measures and controls in place to reduce that risk. The, the reform that we're looking for is um, something that looks at causal factors behind uses research to sort of develop that perspective on what could lead to an incident and uh, implement restrictions or controls and measures that better protect the public against that. And then on the other side, think about data collection in both now and in the long term to require, for example, require a breed to be specified um, when when someone is killed by a dog. That is a very reasonable request, we think.
1: I asked Carrie what she thinks would help stem the rising tide of dog attacks.
4: In order for effective injury prevention, you need to have um, interventions at numerous levels so that that perfect storm that leads to the incident in the end can't come together. It's never just one solution. And that needs to be both at the policy level and the government level and how that can help influence things but also at the individual and people talk about education as the answer and responsible dog ownership if we're going to tackle education and knowledge there are two parts of that one is increasing the knowledge that people have around um when a dog is showing signs that it is stress and it may then eventually over time or within that incident escalate to aggression the other thing is changing social norms. So we need to change social norms that you it is not appropriate to let your child climb all over your dog. It is not appropriate to leave um, a child and dog alone together. But we also need to support that with much better um, policies and legislation to supply people with dogs that are less likely to bite in the first place, if they are put into a situation where they may be pushed into biting. So that's things like breeding legislation. Now, we do have some breeding legislation, but it's been very difficult to um, enforce uh, in practice and there's been sort of loopholes and ways around it. Um, So we need to pay much more attention to that and government can help support that sort of policy.
1: Ultimately, she urged listeners not to be overly worried by the recent media focus on fatal dog attacks and wanted to put the figures into perspective.
4: A lot more people are killed by horses or cows each year than dogs. And a lot more people, far, far more people, interact with dogs on a daily basis than ever interact with this, with horses and cows. Generally, they're really tolerant you know dogs could be going around biting us all the time but they don't but don't be too alarmed by the media frenzy about this at the at the moment most dogs go through their lives without ever biting anyone as long as we make sure they're in that situation where they're managed well enough and they're trained well enough and they're socialized well enough that that doesn't become a problem Thank you for listening to
1: this episode of The North in Numbers, written and hosted by me, Annie Goke, and produced by Dan McLaughlin. And thank you so much to all my guests for taking the time to speak with me. Join us next time for more data-led investigations.